From Sarasota Memorial, this is HealthCast. A healthy dose of information from experts you can trust. Hi, everybody. Welcome to HealthCast. I'm Heidi Godman. In this episode, we're going to be talking about lung cancer screening and diagnosis. November is National Lung Cancer Awareness Month, and it's important to note this because lung cancer is the leading cause of cancer death in both men and women in the United States. We're going to learn more today about risk factors and symptoms of lung cancer and what Sarasota Memorial Hospital is doing to find lung cancer early for the best possible outcomes. Our guests are Dr. Paul Chomiak, a thoracic surgeon, and also Dr. Joseph Seaman, an interventional pulmonologist. Both are leading Sarasota Memorial's lung cancer team. Welcome to the program. Thank so, you. Uh, so Thank let, you. let's talk a little bit about prevalence because lung cancer is such a killer. Can you give us an idea about the numbers? The prevalence is actually increasing a little bit, whereas the incidence is decreasing slightly over time. And part of that is with the, the decrease in smoking, we see the incidence of lung cancer decreasing, but folks are living longer with lung cancer, so the overall prevalence is increasing. And we're talking hundreds of thousands of people, right? Yes, yeah. Um, the number of diagnosed cancers in a year is about 250,000 in the United States. And then it's killing a lot of people, more than 100,000 every year, right? That's correct. Yeah. So what is it about lung cancer, Dr. Chomiak? Is it that uh, we aren't catching it soon enough? Why is it so deadly? Well, as human beings, we're creatures of denial. Unlike other cancers that may present with a lump or a bump that someone can notice or palpate or uh, may have had historic screening programs in place already, lung cancer usually doesn't have symptoms until it's progressed. And, you know, if it's not broken, you usually don't bring it in to be fixed. So once a patient begins to present with symptoms such as weight loss or pain or coughing up blood, chances are they already have an advanced lung cancer. So catching it early is very important, and I know Memorial, Sarasota Memorial, is a big proponent of early detection and has mm -hmm. a very robust lung cancer screening program. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But before we do, can you give us a little bit of an idea about lung cancer risk factors and symptoms? Yeah, the, the, the most significant risk factor in smoking uh, in lung cancer patients is a smoking history. Uh, approximately 80% of all patients with lung cancer have either an active or a significant smoking history. So that's the, the most prevalent modifiable risk factor. Uh, other risk factors that are less common are uh, inhalation of dust particles, combustible materials like diesel fumes, uh, and things that we don't commonly think about. Radon that lives in the, the soil that kind of permeates into our homes is also a risk factor. Uh, one thing that's a little hard to sometimes assess is genetics. Uh, we take a good family history, but sometimes that really doesn't clue us into the lung cancer risk. And we're hearing all around the world, you know, with pollutants in the air. I was just listening to someone uh, talking about in an interview in Mumbai, in India, uh, how bad uh, the air, can, air pollution is there. And we know in China it's bad, and even in L.A., right? So does that play a part into lung cancer? It does. Uh, the problem with some of that is, is how do you measure that on an individual basis to determine whether or not the person is there really at risk because of their exposure. But we all recognize that smog has a lot of particulate matter in it from the combustion of fossil fuels. All right, so it could be exposure, it could be genetics, could mm -hmm. be smoking, but what about the presentation? So how does this present with symptoms? Patients will usually present suddenly with coughing of blood, 
a persistent cough, a recurrent uh, respiratory infection like a pneumonia that just doesn't clear and keeps coming back and coming back. So I think what's very prudent is if a patient does present with these symptoms and is found to have something that may be thought to be benign like a pneumonia, that it's followed up by their primary care, that the patient comes back for further follow-up to make sure that everything cleared and truly this was some benign finding. All right, so really finding it early is going to be the most important thing that we can do here, and especially for smokers. And I know Sarasota Memorial has a very active screening program for lung cancer. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, so lung cancer screening uh, has been attempted over the years. Um, however, more recently, uh, we've really focused on who is the highest risk population, and those are individuals who are age 55 to 77, who have an active smoking history or who have quit within the last 15 years and have a pack year history of more than 30 pack years. And you, you look at the pack years, how many packs per day multiplied by the number of years smoked. Uh, and those are the individuals that are the highest risk. And therefore, the, the CAT scan performs the best at detecting the lung cancer. And the particular type of a CAT scan, uh, we think of lung cancer screening from the old days, maybe with x-rays, but that's gone by the wayside, and now you use LDCT, mm -hmm. low-dose CT. Right. What's the difference? Yeah, so um, a chest x-ray doesn't have the resolution to detect the small nodules that we're looking for that would uh, suggest an early-stage lung cancer. The low-dose CT, the reason why that's a big deal is because um, the CAT scans that individuals get are radiation-based. So radiation has to be given to the patient to, to formulate that CAT scan. And later in life, that can put them at risk for other problems. So by lowering the radiation dose to generate the scan that's needed uh, is a significant benefit to the patient. All right, so that's LDCT, and as mm -hmm. you say, not everyone is a candidate for it. It's usually mm -hmm. people who were or are smokers. That's correct. And so then, what if someone has a concerning find on an LDCT? Maybe that person has been a smoker, or maybe a person comes to you without any history of cancer in the family and is having concerning symptoms. What do you do to investigate? So with the finding of a CT scan, if we happen to see a nodule or something that looks um, what's called a ground glass opacification, sort of a, almost a smudge to downplay it, uh, the concern exists is that not all these findings are going to be cancers. Some of these may be scars from prior infections. We have uh, many individuals who come to this community from the northern areas of the United States where there's a prevalence of certain fungal or atypical infections that sometimes present as nodules in the lung. And isn't it true, too, that asthma sometimes can look like a nodule? Well, the, the, um, sometimes individuals with asthma can have other changes on the lungs, scarred bronchial tubes, or they react differently to things in our environment, pollens, molds, and stuff like that, and they get these little tiny nodules, and that can sometimes masquerade as a benign condition in somebody who is at high risk. But, but you can tell the difference, obviously. And so then what do you do to investigate further? Well, criteria have been set up for quite some time now in terms of looking at the size, the configuration, the location of these nodules, and that would determine if we would survey or follow the patient on a regimented basis, having them come back perhaps at three-month intervals with a repeat low-dose non-contrast chest CT, or would we proceed with something different, such as a PET CT? Or would we just proceed with biopsy 
in terms of trying to better define is this a malignancy, an inflammation, or an infection. How do patients handle it when you say, well, we're going to take the watch and wait approach? Is that something that they're comfortable with? I mean, are patients saying, oh, get this out of me right now, or, or what do they do? Yeah, some folks are, are really anxious. Um, sometimes they, they kind of know going into it, I'm at high risk, I may have a nodule. And, and really our program, um, we have a, a great nurse practitioner who sees and manages these patients when they come into the door, and she sets the stage. You know, we have a, a script, and uh, she tells them, you may have a nodule, but that doesn't mean you have cancer. So if you have a nodule, we're going to put you through our workup, and we're going to make sure that we adjudicate what you need as an individual and based then, on our findings. And then how do you know when a biopsy is appropriate? Because that's a big step. Sure. So we look at certain criteria that have been set forth. So if a patient presents, say, with a nodule that's eight millimeters or greater, we know that there's going to be a notable probability that that could be a malignancy. If we happen to find a smaller nodule or a smaller ground glass opacification that we choose to monitor and we see that that changes in growth or changes in configuration, then that also would probably precipitate us going toward a biopsy. Or if we have a patient where we've obtained a PET scan, which is a biologic study to look at activity. Now, those studies are never 100% accurate, but they raise concern. And if there's concern that's raised, then we would proceed with a biopsy. And traditionally, how have you done biopsy? Is a fine needle biopsy? What do you do? Well, for almost 100 years, it's been described under a radiographic guidance um, CT scan that a needle is passed across the chest into the nodule. It's a very accurate test. They can usually detect a response with a high probability of success. There are some concerns. Uh, the lung can collapse. Hemorrhage can occur. Um, in years past where we just needed to know, is it a cancer or not, I think that was adequate, but nowadays we're asked to obtain a tremendous amount of tissue so we can do genetic testing, molecular testing, and determine what alternative therapies we may offer that patient if it is a malignancy or uh, additional therapies if we're planning for surgery plus perhaps immunotherapy or systemic therapies. And isn't it true, too, that it can be very difficult to reach a particular part of the lung that you need to get to? In the perimeter of the lung, um, traditionally that has been managed by passing a needle across the chest with guidance. But when you're asked to pass a needle into, say, the center of the lung or the mid-portion of the lung, it just increased the potential risk for complications. Historically, when there was a mass near the center airways, that was very approachable with a technology known as a bronchoscope. The concern was when you tried to use a bronchoscope just with a direct vision and then tried to biopsy something on the perimeter of the lung, the success rate was very nil. All right, so now you have a new tool that's making a difference. Yeah. Yeah, so we're very fortunate now. We were uh, among a small group of hospitals in the, uh, the states that uh, were able to acquire a, uh, mon a monarch robotic navigation system, uh, which is where a, uh, a robot controls a small, thin bronchoscope that's able to reach the periphery of the lung and access nodules that previously we did not have access to. Or we're able to get into these really small crevices that are high risk for needle biopsies, um, but now allow us to reach these weird locations to obtain tissue. How do you do it? Give us an idea, give us a picture of what it looks like inside the procedure room when you're doing that. Yeah. 
Well, the robot is actually this five foot long, five millimeter optical tube with a couple channels and it holes. And we have complete control over this utilizing an Xbox controller. So we stand at a console, the patient is asleep, we introduce this snake-like device into the windpipe. It gives me navigational as well as optical recognition. So I can actually see for the first time into the perimeters of the lung. We literally drive this through a computer program that has been prepared for that particular patient to get onto the target of concern. At times, we can actually see the nodule is or this, the tumor. So this is video or this is giving you a 3D look? What is it? It is 3D with navigational guidance, meaning if I wanted to find an area behind me about 20 feet back and 20 feet up, a computer on a screen would tell me which way to turn and drive this robot. And then as we get onto the target, we improve the level of accuracy by being able to see this. No other platform historically has been able to provide it. So not only can we achieve biopsies of small nodules, we can biopsy nodules in different locations at the same time. We can biopsy nodules in both the right and the left lung at the same time, and it's all done as now patient setting. In other words, kids, if you're playing video games, keep it up. One day you could be a doctor, right? <laughs> I mean, future. is this something that you work on together? How do you work in conjunction to get these diagnoses? Yeah, so, you know, in many respects, you know, Paul has patients, I have patients, but, you know, this as a team, you know, we have this collection of providers at the hospital that work together to provide care to these patients. Uh, sometimes it's a longitudinal, it's a handoff situation, sometimes it's simultaneous, you know, uh, team-based care. Uh, and it, that's really what you need moving forward because um, one person can't do everything. You know, you need to have a team that specializes in different areas and works well together to get the patients the best care they need. And isn't it true then when you can get those biopsy results, when you can find the cancer sooner, that the patient is going to have a much better prognosis? What does that look like? Well, what when you look at other cancers, the three major cancers that have affected humans in our country, prostate, breast, and colon, we've taken a cancer by screening, we picked up more early stage cancers. Diagnoses are made, interventions are offered, which then turns into a higher rate of survival. Historically, 80% of people diagnosed with lung cancer were advanced. If you look at the overall survival, there was only a 14% five-year survival for the last decades for lung cancer. If we can pick up that patient early stage, there are now survival curves demonstrating a 90% five-year survival if we find a 10 millimeter early stage lung cancer and treat that appropriately. So the goal of the screening, being able to diagnose faster, quicker, better, obtain more tissue for future therapies of moleculars and genetic driven therapies and to do that in a very cost efficient fast process that is outpatient is amazing you know dr seaman mentioned that we were one of a few we're one of 10 centers in the country that were chosen to bring on this technology we have the third largest experience in the country for the Monarch Robotic Bronchoscopy System. And I'm excited about where the future of this is going.
And where do you think that is? A whole new field of natural orifice robotic surgery. One day, we're going to be able to put these robots through any natural entrance into the human. Not only be able to diagnose, but to treat right away. Treat with an energy source. Treat with miniaturized instruments. Imagine a patient gets a CT scan, is found to have an 8 millimeter nodule somewhere. We biopsy it and immediately confirm it's a cancer. We do other immediate testing to prove it's early stage. We then potentially could offer an energy platform such as microwave, liquefy and destroy the tumor and validate immediately the tumor's gone. And how far away is that? Probably within a couple of years. A couple of years. Yeah. And, and, e- and even today, I mean, it's making a big difference. You're, you're well, finding it sooner. You're treating it sooner. And then patients have uh, a, a better quality of life. Yeah. It, and, you know, it's all about providing the patients the best patient-centered outcomes. And, you know, one thing that we have to recognize, many of our patients cannot undergo surgery for the traditional lung cancer surgery. And that's where when you have a team-based approach and you know who the patients are, you get them to the best therapist or the best person to take care of them. And, you know, offering them minimally invasive oper- uh, treatment interventions is really the best for them. And it's already available at Sarasota yeah. Memorial Hospital. Mm-hmm. Dr. Joe Seaman and Dr. Paul Chomiak, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, time now for today's takeaways. One is that lung cancer is one of the deadliest cancers in the United States, and smoking is a big contributor. Two, it's crucial to get routine low-dose CTs if you're a candidate, which probably could be if you're a current smoker. And three, Sarasota Memorial Hospital has a lung cancer screening program and, of course, all the latest technology to detect it and treat it. And if you'd like more information, just give Sarasota Memorial a call, 941-917-7777. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit smh.com. Follow us on your favorite social media network.